UVA and Virginia Tech get back on track, and the ACC starts to sort itself out as we head towards March Madness. All that this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 43 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here joining me, as he always does, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Mike, it's March. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm really good. We made it. I don't know that we necessarily believed that was always going to be the case. David, how how uh, energized, enthused, relieved, what's the word, are you that we've made it to March? Um, I'm energized. I'm optimistic. I'm actually, I'm eager to get through it because I know how important this month is for the sport and for college athletics as a whole both from a psychological and a financial standpoint. And I, I just, I want to see tournaments. I want to see people cutting down nets at conference tournaments and eventually at Lucas Oil Stadium on the first Monday of April. You know, going back through my childhood, like to, to nursery school, I, I can think of like the arts and crafts we did for when the seasons changed. Um, and they always talked about, you know, spring being this, you know, renewal and rejuvenation and everything comes back to life. And I don't know that it's ever resonated with me quite <laughs> as much as it is this year. And and not just the basketball, which is definitely, you know, a, a big part of our world. But yeah, I, I sit here when we do the podcast, I sit in, in my office, my home office, and I have these two nice windows that I look at and just seeing the sun out. Seeing the number mm-hmm. of people walking their dogs, r- the kids running around. My daughter on her breaks for virtual schooling goes in the front yard. She, she told me she's building a yard sale for the birds. So she's <laughs> put, putting out string and, and twigs and seed for the birds to come shopping. Uh, there's something, especially during this pandemic right now, that this spring does feel, I think, rejuvenating. Sure hope so. You know, we, we keep seeing optimistic signs regarding the vaccine and now there's a single dose out there uh i'm not sure i want to get into that double dose because so many folks i know that second shot hits them like a ton of bricks yeah it is what we're hearing i I, sign me up for whatever shot i can get but uh, (laughs) if the single dose is available yeah it's uh you know it definitely is is one of those deals where it's and of course things hit everybody differently but i've heard the same thing uh from my my friends and and people who've been lucky enough uh to get two doses the second dose has certainly been and it's a little bit of false sense of security too because they said the first one was pretty smooth mm-hmm. maybe a little soreness in the arm but that was yeah. and then the second one had you know dead arm fever and uh but hey if it gets us one step closer to to being back in restaurants being back in in movie theaters being back to to interacting with each other more normally uh like i said sign me up yeah oh i i couldn't agree more if <sighs> And we, we've talked about this before, Mike, and, and we had a case of this 
last night at, at UVA where the Zoom audio was less than stellar. And I, I just, I want to have a face-to-face encounter with an athlete or a coach or an administrator so badly. Yeah, I think we're all craving it. And, you know, we'll get into the ACC picture, the AC term. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, one of the things I love about that event is the open locker rooms, right? Yeah. Like the ACC brings a coach and, and usually two players to the podium and then the locker rooms open and you could go in and, and you can have one-on-one conversations. And um, to me, the ACC tournament, especially with the programs we cover that are um, very tight with their access n- under normal circumstances, uh, you know, obviously justified right now, but you know, that was one of my favorite things about that event was all of that FaceTime and getting to find out that, you know, some of these kids we cover that we don't really get to know on the level that, that we used to earlier in our career, they're great kids. And um, I'm excited to go to Greensboro next week. I'm excited because it's going to be, you know, back to the scene of the crime, if you will, um, yeah. where we were when all of this hit and everything was canceled and packing my bags and, and going home. But um, I'm going to miss that. And it's exactly for the reason you just said. We, we miss that that FaceTime. Yeah. And I, I and truth be told, I'm going to miss the socializing with our media colleagues. I mean, I I love going to the tournaments each year and seeing folks on the circuit from North Carolina, South Carolina, wherever. And then when you get to the NCAA tournament, seeing guys and gals you know from around the country. But there's going to be very little of that uh, this month. Yeah, which brings up the, the big question that every sports writer wants to know, and I, I have this breaking news. Uh, I've been told we will have meals <laughs> at the ACC tournament. We'll have boxed lunches and hot dinners. Uh, so I don't know if that affords any time for interaction uh, or any opportunity for interaction, but uh, I have been assured that uh, we will still be fed while, <laughs> while covering the ACC tournament next week in Greensboro. I'm sure quite well, given uh, knowing the ACC's history. Yeah, they always do a nice job with that event, and um, it's interesting because we are we are speeding towards that. We are speeding towards March Madness. We're into the month that that we've been clamoring for, and Virginia Tech they they, they came back from their you know short but substantial <laughs> COVID pause. They had that rough outing against Georgia Tech. Now you and I both think Georgia Tech's a really good team. Yeah. They bounced back with a really dominant showing against Wake Forest. You and I both understand Wake Forest isn't that great a team this year. Now, Mike Young talked about the importance of just getting this team back on track on Monday. It was incredibly important. We were terrible against Georgia Tech, and uh, I say it every time, and I mean this. Those guys, is a bad game to come out of a pause uh, because they're good. Uh, Josh is doing a terrific job with them. Uh, a little different style, make you uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, we hung in there. We were uh, even at the, uh, at the half. Um, but, uh, boy, were we um, sea legs, as David Teal referenced it, um, in, uh, in the second half, and they blistered our fannies. Um, I was – I was I was I was as nervous as I've been all year on uh, on Saturday um, with uh, with the Demon Deacons coming in here and uh, we we got our team back. 
They did. They looked really good. They looked really, I thought, connected defensively. And David, when you talk to ACC coaches about Mike Young, about Virginia Tech, that's where they start is the kind of defense he has them playing. So has Virginia Tech righted its ship? Um, Does it have its sea legs under it now? And, uh, and, And how good do you think they can get back to being? Talk to me tomorrow night, right? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll learn a whole lot more after the Hokies play Louisville at uh, Castle Coliseum in, in Virginia Tech's home finale. The Wake Forest game, Mike, is, is you referenced because of the Deacons' predictable struggles this year, given the, the state of the program that Steve Forbes inherited and the state of the roster. It's, it's hard to gauge what that win, as lopsided as it was, truly means. But to see, especially Keve Aluma, who struggled mightily against Moses Wright, as, has, as have a lot of people of late, to see him come out and hit five of five beyond the arc mm-hmm. had to be an encouraging sign for, for all Hokies faithful. And again, for Tyrese Radford in his second game back and another double-figure performance in, in the scoring column, I think that, too, is a very encouraging sign. The, the discouraging part of it is no Jalen Cohn. And as folks will remember, though the Hokies lost at Louisville earlier this season, Jalen Cohn lit it up that night. I think he had 23 believe that's right, but he was such a vital part of the Hokies' comeback that night that they almost finished off. You know, Hunter Couture comes within maybe a fingernail of, of making that three to uh, to give the Hokies a win. Yeah, Jalen Cohn, and it's probably smart, right? The plan is, is for him not to play uh, in the regular season finale. The hope is to get him some minutes in the ACC tournament. Now, the question, David, and uh, it, it's twofold because I want to talk about Radford and Cohn in, in the same area. It's about conditioning. It's about mm-hmm. being in shape. Now, Tyrese Radford, the thing that impressed me most was he came back from the suspension and he physically looked ready to play. There, there was a little yeah. rust, some timing defensively, some things with the shot. Um, that's natural. But he looked like a guy. He had not spent two weeks on the couch eating Cheetos feeling sorry for himself. He looked like a guy who kept himself ready to, for the chance to play again. Jalen Cohn, that's going to be a much harder task because it's an ankle injury, yes. right? It's got nothing to do with, with Jalen. It's it's the ankle. He can't run. He can't get on a bike. He can't do solo conditioning. So the question, David, let's say he gets back and can play some minutes in the ACC tournament. How valuable will he be or will that just be the time you think they're getting his win back? Well, and not just his win, Mike. What's the most striking part of Jalen Cohn's game? It's his elevation on that jump shot. I mean, for for a little guy, and I'm going to date myself as I often do, I mean, he gets off the floor like a Calvin Murphy used Mm -hmm. to on his jump shot. You know, Calvin Murphy, like Cohn, was under six feet tall. And you talk about getting up in the air on, on his shot. That's what Jalen Cohn does. And it's so quick and it's almost impossible to block no matter how long the defender is in front of him. But you just wonder, will that elevation 
be there when he returns? And if it isn't, how does that affect his shot? Yeah, it's part of what's made him so valuable. You know, a year ago, Jalen Cohn was a catch and shoot guy and now he's to the point where he can use that elevation on the mm-hmm. move he can do it coming off a screen he can do it off the dribble he can step back and um it is amazing because y- you talk about separation and how much se- this is not a guy who needs much separation because of that elevation and if that's gone um you know all of this excitement to get Jalen Cohn back it, it may not be the same player we certainly uh, hope it is because there was a stretch there where Jalen Cohn was uh, really the, the most explosive player in the ACC in terms of just catching fire and, and being unguardable yeah he was in the conversation for six man of the year no doubt. Now, you talked a little bit about this matchup with Louisville, Cone's impact the first time through, uh, you know, Tech digging themselves a hole, fighting back in that one. Much of the success of Louisville this year, maybe surprisingly, although we knew he was a talented player having seen him at Radford, has centered on Carlick Jones. And, uh, you know, our friend Mark Berman from the Roanoke Times has a story that'll, that'll be up on their site and our site later today, looking at the success of Carlick Jones at Louisville. At Virginia Tech, Keve Aluma, Justin Mutz, these mid-major transfers mm-hmm. who really have transformed their team. So starting with Carly Jones, what has he meant to Louisville? And David, as somebody who knew his game a bit and you know we knew what kind of player he was, are you surprised at just how much of a focal point he's been for the Cardinals? I'm not for two reasons, Mike. Num- number one, because this is what Chris Mack essentially told us during preseason was going to happen. He said, this guy is the deal, and we've known it since the summer when he got here. And compounded by the fact that Louisville did not return any full-time starters from last year. The Cardinals needed some players So you talk about transferring to the right place where there was an opportunity to come in and make an impact like this. Carly Jones chose very wisely and it's, it's paid off for, for both parties. He's meant everything to them. He runs the show. Yeah. And I think you can say the same thing in terms of picking the right spot for Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz, because For whatever Virginia Tech had and was building around, it was thin and small in the front court. And those guys have come in and have just been, I mean, all of the difference. I mean, Luma is a player of the year candidate, Mutz, with his energy and his toughness inside. Uh, Once they got him away from kind of falling in love with his three-point shot and and playing more like a banger inside, uh, those guys have transformed Tech's season. Um, Same answer, David, just great fits. Well, I mean, Aluma was a natural simply because he played for Mike Young at, at Wofford. So to to accompany Mike to Blacksburg was just, it, it happens all the time. Mutz, you know, he he had some options leaving Delaware, and he again, you're you're right. He he chose very wisely. He saw an opportunity where he could get immediate playing time, and he seized it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We'll never know the answer to this question, but uh, we're better to pose it than a podcast if we're never going to get a real answer. 
I wonder about Aluma's development had he stayed at Wofford, um, whether or not Mike Young had stayed at Wofford. I wonder if having that year off, being in that power five strength room, having to work against the talent of the guys you know he was working against, I wonder, because obviously the kid's talented, right? Obviously the kid's got great game. He was going to be a big time player in that league. But I do wonder if his development wasn't accelerated, um, you know, really pumped up by being in the ACC. Especially on the offensive end. Yeah. Mike Young has, has said all along that he really did anticipate Keve Aluma being a force defensively, but he did not envision him being the factor offensively that he has become. I, I believe he took one three-pointer during his two years at Wofford, and Mike Young said it was late in the shot clock, <laughs> essentially a, a heave because he wanted to avoid a turnover. Yeah, so Aluma and Mutz have been great fits. They're a big reason that, that the Hokies are in fourth place in the league standings. They're in contention for that double bye, and that brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It, and with Virginia Tech still in the hunt for a double bye, in next week's ACC tournament in Greensboro, Hokies coach Mike Young should win the league's Coach of the Year honor. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I'm going to leave it just because there's part of the season left. He's my leading candidate and will likely receive my vote. But were the Hokies to drop two games this week to Louisville and NC State, were, say, the Clemson Tigers to win out, which would have them on a seven-game winning streak and 11-5 and in the league. Remember, Clemson was only picked one spot ahead of Virginia Tech in preseason. Clemson was picked 10th. I think Brad Brownell's done a tremendous job. For a team that returned no stars, I think Chris Mack's done a nice job. I think Josh Pasner at Georgia Tech has also uh, distinguished himself. Right now, Mike Young is the leader in the clubhouse, but I'm not ready to say he should win it quite yet. All right. Thank you, David. Mike? I'm going to take it, and and I'm actually more leaning, if I wasn't going to vote for Mike Young, it's somebody that you didn't mention, but I know, David, you have a ton of respect for, and uh, Leonard Hamilton and, and what he's done at, at Florida State. And yeah, you know, you get into this situation when you talk about Coach of the Year, and I know I've said this before, where it's, okay, Florida State was expected to be good, and look at this, they're good. Um, sometimes we hold that against their coaches. But for me, the, the jump for Virginia Tech, I mean, I think, I know I thought they would be better than 11th. And when I say better than 11th, I thought maybe 8th. You know, maybe 7 would be the, the max. Certainly if they finish in the top four, to, to me it's a no-brainer. But with what he's yeah. done um, and with some of the, the issues, right, the Radford suspension, the cone injury, the pause, and, and every coach in America has gone through stuff. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think Mike Young is the lead horse. Uh, right now I'm, I'm taking it. He, he's the, the guy um, for what he's done. And I don't know, you, you know, even if they lose here down the stretch, am I going to be off that train? I don't think so. I think Mike Young has exceeded expectations on a level that I think surpasses even people who, who thought they could exceed expectations. I think he surpassed that. Fair enough. Now, what about their rival, UVA? <laughs> it was on a three-game losing streak, spiraling out of control. It looked like the, the wheels had come off. David, we were there last night. 
They fought past Miami Monday night, senior night. Uh, not a great outing for the Cavaliers, no. but a victory, which when yeah. you've lost three in a row, <laughs> the, yes. the number one thing you're looking to check off your grocery list is, is put a win in the cart. They put a win in the cart. Still issues with the defense. 26 points in the paint. David, when you look at that, is that just what to expect from Virginia this year now? After two games in a row, you know, NC State got 30 in, yeah. in the paint. And Miami with the couple dozen, as you referenced last night, I don't know if, if, if it's what to expect. I know Tony Bennett expects a lot better uh, interior defense and, and so much to the point that he benched Kihei Clark. Now you don't think of Kihei, <clears throat> he, Kihei Clark as a as an interior defender, but he was allowing guys to get to the rim. And that was a problem. And Jay Huff, too, went to the bench for a solid eight minutes, along with Clark at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second. And Tony Bennett sent a serious message. And he followed it up, David. I'm sure this struck you. It definitely struck me in the post game. I asked about, you know, what Miami did defensively to kind of make it tough for Huff. And uh, he flat out said, you know, Jay Huff and Kihei Clark didn't play well tonight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he made it clear he, he still loves those guys. They're great players, have been a great part of the program, and they're going to need them the rest of the way. But uh, Tony didn't hide the fact that he was displeased with the the play of, you know, arguably, the, I mean, the, the team's two most important veterans. You know, Sam Hauser's been the best player, but he's new uh, a transfer into the program. Other guys have had key roles. But when you think of this team, I mean, in, in terms of, guys who are back, the veterans, the the faces of this team, Clark and Huff, those are the guys. Dudes with the rings, right? Yeah. <laughs> Goes a long way. Yes, absolutely. And Tony Bennett is, is, is such an interesting study. because, And I, I'll bet he's this way in, in practice or, or in the locker room at halftime or after a game. He can carve you up with a smile on his face <laughs> because when he was talking to us last night, he said, yeah, I gave J- Jay a big hug at the end of the game, told him how much I loved him and said, just wouldn't be right if I wasn't screaming at you on your final <laughs> game. You know? <laughs> and and I'm, I'm sure Tony got after him last night because it was it was not his finest hour by any stretch he's 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 better than that every coach does it differently but i would imagine that getting smoked by by tony bennett is extra painful because of what you just said because you probably walk away from the conversation with two thoughts you love him even more and what a great nice man he is and just down on what you've done or what you felt right because you got to have an emotion towards somebody there and it's hard to hate him (laughs) so you probably walk away kicking yourself but hey uh for the duration of his tenure it's obviously been extremely effective and along those lines he benched Kihei Clark earlier in the season. He had some post games where he was rough on Kihei Clark in terms of the turnovers. We didn't love the performance last night, but this team the last few times out has been much better protecting the basketball. Yeah. It feels a little bit like the old cartoon of the guy in front of the dam with all the holes and he's sticking a finger here and a, a toe there and trying Whack-a-mole. to Right, yeah. Okay, here comes a problem, get it. Here comes a problem, get it. But David, yeah. it does seem like they've corrected knock on wood for their sake, the turnover issue, doesn't it? And what they have last night, eight? Yeah. Is that right? 
No, they were they they were good with with ball security last night, and it, it is it's 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 very reminiscent of of whack a mole. And you know there are games like the Carolina game, like the route of Syracuse, where where you think you know these guys could go win another one. They're, they look that good, but then you, you you see them against a Florida State which you know obviously a, a, a terrific team but they weren't competitive and then the, the loss to NC State at home you know that was you know, that, that's second year in a row to to, to the Wolfpack at, at, at JPJ you know maybe Kevin Keats has, has figured something out there but uh, the the NC State loss that that raised my eyebrows because I remember I was not covering that game but I was watching here at the house and you, you were there on site and I was texting I was like they they look awful <laughs> it was ragged and and um, it is though you know with Kihei Clark with, with that ball security if he's put that behind him. And yeah, there are these other problems, but I think that's these other problems are maybe a little bit easier to overcome. (laughs) Um, The turnovers were just taking them out of games. I mean, the turnovers were making it not competitive. It was making them hard to do anything offensively in part, David, because they're not as good defensively. Right. So if they have these empty possessions or worst case, these live ball turnovers. That was turning into buckets incredibly easy against them. And, um, you know, the last two games, eight turnovers, you're right, against Miami, eight also against NC State. And looking at Kihei Clark, 12 assists, four turnovers the last two games. So, yeah, Kihei Clark solved that problem. Now he's got to get back to that on-ball defense and, and not letting guys buy him, which is, you know, supposed to be another strong point of his game. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 I don't, you know, some of our listeners may be into the – Ken Palm efficiency numbers. Virginia right now is 28th in adjusted defensive efficiency would be their worst finish since the 2011 season. Tony Bennett's second year in Charlottesville. Yeah, it's nuts. Now, what's pulled them through a lot of this has been Sam Hauser. Right. Mm -hmm. The guy that we went into the year hyping the Marquette transfer, the guy who doesn't miss from three, he got off to a slow start to the season from beyond the arc. But man, David, he's been good and he's been good in ways that maybe I personally didn't expect. It hasn't just been the threes, which he's he's obviously are still the strength of his game. But I mean, he's hit some mid range. He's hit some post ups. He had a big post up bucket last night Mm -hmm. when they were in one of their scoring droughts. He's been good enough to pull them through some of their offensive problems that's been a huge key, has it not? Mike, he's one of the best shooters in Virginia history. I mean, he, he really is. He's not the volume three-point shooter that Curtis Staples was. I get that. And he's not the spectacular three-point shooter that Kyle Guy was. But his all-around offensive game and his ability to shoot it from anywhere I mean, he is really smooth and really good. And they would be in a world, world of hurt without him. Yeah, you know, Tony Bennett said after the game that had the fans been allowed in JPJ this year, Hauser would have been a fan favorite. And, And hearing you talk, the guy that he reminds me of, speaking of fan favorites, is Joe Harris. Joe Harris, yeah. That range, but that 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 sort of church league ability to do whatever his particular team needs in a particular situation. Um, He's been great. This team at one point, remember, 
you know, it opened the ACC season with seven straight wins. It climbed into the top 10 in the national re- rankings, all that before the losing streak, before the wheels kind of came off. I asked Hauser, does he think UVA can get back to that level that it was playing at earlier this season? Yeah, I have all the confidence in the world that we, that we can get back to that level. And uh, I know that other guys think that too. And we know how good we can be. It's just a matter of the quality of play. And I think Coach Bennett touches on this once in a while. It's, it's about quality. And um, I think tonight we had some really good quality basketball. Rather, I mean, whether or not the ball was going in the hoop or, you know, sometimes we had a couple of breakdowns on defense. But I think overall it was a quality game for us. David? Is he right? Uh, not necessarily about last night's performance, but can they get back to that level? Sure. I mean, they've been there before. I absolutely think they can. Uh, will it be easy? No. But, you know, Hauser, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the box score from last night. That was a quiet, efficient, mm-hmm. almost stealth ninja like 18 <laughs> points. And, you know, and he, he also got. Six six boards. He threw. He had a couple block shots, even, which is clearly not his mo. Uh, and and it was also good. I thought an encouraging two other encouraging signs from from last night. One, Trey Murphy just hunting his shot mm-hmm. because he had not been hunting his shot, and other teams had been just closing out on him. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to, to get loose. Well, he, he took nine shots last night in 29 minutes. Now, he made he made only three, but that's okay. He got to the line, made all four of his free throws, of course, because he's, he's money there. But he needs to be assertive. And then the bench, led by Justin McCoy. I mean, Justin McCoy had eight points in the first half. And and darn near had eleven. Did you not think that half court heave at the, at that, the horn was going in? And a part of you know, anytime you have a shot like that, yeah, it's your angle, it's your vantage point. But part of it is your vibe, right? And yes. Justin McCoy was vibing in that half. It did feel like it was going to clank off the backboard, hit the rim, and end uh-huh. up going through. Yeah, no, it and it, it darn near did. But still, the the eight points his his most ever in an ACC game. He had eleven against San Francisco in the season's second outing. But for for him to contribute eight points off the bench was unexpected and, and quite frankly, very much needed. Yeah, you know, it, it, McCoy's a guy that I think. Tony Bennett looks to for some energy and some toughness, and that's great. That, that's very important. Bennett said post game, you know, this team needs that. Uh, mm-hmm. It needs that injection. But if you have a guy who can do that and oh, also <laughs> get you some production, and McCoy at one yeah. point scored six straight points. He had a six zero yes. run on his own mm-hmm. uh, that really kept them in the game in the first half. Uh, his emergence here late in the season, and, and a credit to him because a guy who played early and then kind of yeah. got you know worked down the bench and wasn't getting minutes and. We've seen this year after year after oh, year yeah. in Virginia. The, yeah. These kids don't get discouraged. I mean, Jay Huff's career is a testament to this, but guys who don't play or their minutes fluctuate, they don't get discouraged at Virginia. They keep working and they stay ready. And man, how many times has Tony Bennett gotten not just a spark from somebody off the bench, but productivity for a two, three game stretch because these guys stay ready? No, absolutely. I it's, it's an overworked concept in sports, Mike, but I really think it applies here. And it's culture. 
mm-hmm. and the patience to endure the the minute the fluctuation of minutes and to wait your turn and then when your turn comes not to get discouraged if you don't immediately produce the coaches can preach it all they want but unless the players among themselves encourage each other it's not going to work but clearly they do at virginia and it's one of those deals where it's passed down from generation to generation yeah you talk about culture and part of that culture is being in the postseason and winning in the postseason too that's part of the culture at duke it's part of the culture at carolina this acc season everything's a little bit on its head David, so what do we make, other than the fact that Florida State's pretty damn good, I think, what do we make of the yeah. ACC right now? We, we have Carolina gets that big win over the Seminoles, turns around and loses to Syracuse. I can give you a million other examples, what Georgia Tech, Duke, Clemson, Louisville, whoever you want, of somebody gets a big win, follows it with a bad loss, or a bad loss, follows it with a big win. Now you're looking, Clemson, here they come. They've won five in a row. NC State, Georgia Tech, they've won four in a row. Looking at the big picture, what are you making of the ACC right now? Well, I see four teams that are NCAA locks, in my mind. Florida State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Clemson. Carolina's close and and would have been a fifth had it won last night at the Carrier Dome. But let's just... You know, give the Tar Heels the benefit of the doubt and say they're going to they're get in regardless. There's five. I think I don't think Louisville wants to be losing two this week to the, the Commonwealth teams, Virginia Tech and UVA. The Georgia Tech-Duke game tonight, Mike, <laughs> I mean, is fascinating to me on so many different levels because those are two teams that are desperate – and win or lose, the Blue Devils are going to be desperate Saturday in Chapel Hill, which makes that fascinating as, as well. The, those two games, Duke's closing two games, to me, are so intriguing. It, it is fascinating because Duke was was buried, right? Duke was left for dead. Carolina, in a sense, was too. Uh, they've rebounded amazingly. Um, and Duke, since Jalen Johnson opted out, and again, I don't want to relitigate that or get into, you know, addition by subtraction, but Duke was playing better basketball. Then they had the the loss that they threw in there to kind of give you pause. But um, it looks like when they're right, that they are right where we thought maybe they would be. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a tough overtime setback mm-hmm. to, to, to Louisville the, the other night. And, you know, it was the kind of game Essentially, they played against Virginia. It came comes down to, to to one possession, and they were on the right side of it against the Cavaliers, and the wrong side of it against the Cardinals. So I, I don't know if it, in in a normal season you wouldn't dock a Duke team <laughs> for that because they would have had so much capital built up, but that's not the case. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the standings. Duke's eleven and nine. Nine and seven in, in the ACC. That That is treading on thin, thin ice. You know, very conceivable. I think Duke, I, I haven't looked at tonight's line. I imagine it's a, a pick em or Duke could be an underdog. I most certainly think Duke's going to be an underdog Saturday 
at North Carolina, if, if Duke goes to Greensboro at 11 and 11 and nine and nine, they better be playing on Saturday night if they want to advance to Indianapolis. Yeah, now that's the thing. Whether you're Carolina or you're Duke or you're Georgia Tech or you're Syracuse, these teams are all going to have a chance to help or, or I guess, hurt their resumes uh, during yeah. during that ACC tournament. Two of the four double buys are still up for grabs. There's a lot of moving pieces. That brings us to who you got. Thanks, Mike. Let's stick with the uh, ACC tournament in Greensboro coming up. Florida State and Virginia have clinched double buys in Greensboro. The other two spots are still up for grabs. So who grabs them? Who you got? Let's start with Mike. You know, it's interesting. You look at the standings the way they are, but really in a lot of ways, what it comes down to is who do you still have to play, right? right. Like what's yes. the, Who are your matchups? So if you ask me who are the next two best teams, um, I think still it, it's Clemson of Virginia Tech. I, I think those are the next two best teams. But man, Virginia Tech with that game against Louisville, um, my, that might be a game for one of the double buys. So I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's such an interesting year. The unbalanced schedule we always talk about, but now it's unbalanced plus COVID impact. What games were canceled? I'm looking, I, I'm fascinated by what Virginia Tech, uh, you know, Louisville is going to mean, um, and maybe what UVA Louisville will mean in the big picture. Uh, so that's sort of me ducking to say, I, I think Virginia Tech and, and Clemson are, are the next two in line based on the seasons they've had, but it's all about who you're finishing the year with. Thanks, Mike. David, who you got? I'm going to take Clemson and Louisville just because I think Louisville – and I'm certainly not confident in this. I believe the Cardinals will beat the Hokies tomorrow night. How many times has Louisville beaten Virginia Tech in a row now? We're we're into the teens. I know. I don't. I don't have it memorized. Probably Virginia Tech fans are grateful for that. But it's been a long time, and maybe the Hokies are just due. But and I know Malik Williams has re-injured his foot and he's done for the year for the Cardinals. That's such a brutal blow to to that young man and that team. He re, he returned against Duke and and re-injured it, and now he's they're shutting him down. But with no cone, I just kind of lean Louisville, and I think that positions the Cardinals for one of those buys. And you know, Clemson's got. Two games left at Syracuse tomorrow night. The Orange playing on just two days rest, but the Orange is 12-1 and at home. And then Clemson closes at Little John against Pitt in a game you certainly think that the Tigers will win. The the dark horse for that top five spot is Carolina. Mm Because Carolina's sitting there at 10-5. and They beat Duke. They're eleven and five, and they would lose a tiebreaker to Clemson because Clemson beat the Tar Heels head to head. But you know, if if Virginia Tech splits to go ten and five, it would lose a tiebreaker to Carolina at eleven and five because the ACC is just basing it solely on winning percentage. You know, David, you you spared Tech fans the statistic, but I'll share it. It's seventeen in a 17. row. Okay, that Louisville has beaten Virginia Tech, so um, that's a monkey they'd like to get off their back. And this year, with, with even more stakes. Now, we talked a ton about UVA and Virginia Tech this year, but it, it's a strong year in basketball around the Commonwealth, not not just in the ACC. You look at 
VCU. It looks like it's positioned itself uh, once again for the NCAA tournament. Richmond falling off here a little bit at the end of the year. JMU, they kind of went from a favorite in the CAA to the long shot with the injury to, to Matt Lewis, their best player. Uh, Liberty's out there in the A's sun. You've got Radford in contention in the Big South. ODU in contention in Conference USA. Norfolk State is in first in its half of the yeah. MEAC. Mm-hmm. David, how, how good a year is this around Virginia? It, it could be a record good year. I mean, the, the, the most teams from Virginia to ever make the NCAA tournament is five. It's happened twice in 2011 and most recently in 2019 which is the last time we, we, we had an, an, an NCAA tournament. But, uh, you know, if, if VCU and Virginia and Virginia Tech are there, you know, I think Liberty is the favorite in, in the A-Sun. That would be four. Could, could some other teams close the deal in, in their conference tournaments? I, I certainly think it's, it's feasible, although, you know, conference tournaments are always a crapshoot. It'd be great. The, the, the record, by the way, for st- teams from one state in, an in, in a single NCAA tournament is seven. Texas had seven one year, and California had seven one year. And just in case people think I'm a big enough lunatic to have parsed the brackets, no, this, this is a page in the NCAA Final Four record book that, that I am reciting. <laughs> I did not go through and chart all this, although I might have if I had to, <laughs> just because I'm, I'm into such minutiae. If you're speaking of charts and maps, those two states that you just mentioned – Yes, They're, or rather large. Yeah. So for Virginia, uh, you know, we always talk about pound for pound. Uh, if Virginia gets that done, pound for pound, that's the greatest showing ever because uh, not not quite the same landmass. Uh, although certainly there's at least in Texas, I know parts of Texas that there's not a whole lot going on. But, yeah, there's uh, a lot. There's a surprising amount. If 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 you just you know start rattling them off there's a bunch of division 1 college basketball programs in the commonwealth absolutely and i'm curious so one of them that's local to us and you, you know you seem i think vcu's in really good shape richmond with, with what's going on are oh, they done man. or can chris mooney's spiders outside of winning the a10 can chris mooney's spiders still get into it i i don't think so my the, the loss last night to to mm. st joseph's Hurts in in so many ways. Number one, it was at home against one of the A-10's worst teams. And number two, Blake Francis got hurt. Mm. You know, I mean, bless the Spiders' hearts. I mean, last season, they're on track for their first NCAA tournament bid since the 2011 run to the Sweet 16 in San Antonio. And it all gets cut short by COVID. And then there's all this enthusiasm and and rightfully so, you know, they, they return essentially everyone from a 24 win team. And then Sherrod is lost for the year in preseason. And then they have not one, not two, but three COVID pauses and, you know, spare me all those who would have that be a referendum on character. You know, that's just all, you know, 99% bad luck. And I'm, I'm sure Chris Mooney yearns for the day where the phrase contact tracing mm-hmm. is never uttered in his presence. And now he's got Grant Golden hurt already. And then last night, 
Blake Francis falls and hurts his back and can't go for the final 30 minutes. And they end up losing to, to St. Joe's. And, you know, I've, I've known Blake Francis's dad, Carl, forever. Carl's the director of communications for the National Football League Players Association. And he's from Virginia. And uh, he, he played some high school football in, in Hampton Roads. Just a, a great guy and a, a great family. And I just, the Spiders have just had such bad luck. So you got the injuries there, Bones Highland at VCU, right. Matt Lewis, I mentioned it at JMU. So tell me Vince, that. Vince Williams at VCU too. Yeah. You know, he, he, he turned that ankle uh, in the regular season finale at Davidson on Saturday. Yeah. And Mike Rhodes was, was telling uh, our, our Wayne Epps Jr. that uh, both Highland and Williams are essentially day-to-day in the uh, A-10 tournament this week. I'm still going to put VCU up there with with UVA and Tech. Yeah, I I agree, Mike. And I want to know, of the guys who are left, who's the best team in the Commonwealth, not Virginia, Virginia Tech, VCU? Who do you like best of of the rest? At full strength, I would say Richmond, but clearly the, the, the Spiders are not there. Absent that, it would be Liberty. And Mike, you know Richie McKay. I've I've known him. It seems like forever. I texted him the other night after watching a good bit of of his team's win at, at Bellarmine on Saturday to to sew up the the A Sun regular season. And you know, Richie gets teased because you know Liberty much. You know, he's a former Tony Bennett assistant and and Dick Bennett guy. So you know, his teams tend to play that slow style well they hung 90 plus on (laughs) bellerman the other day and so i texted him and said glad to see you found your inner paul westhead (laughs) and 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 he texted back he said yeah i've been watching my league pass a lot you know (laughs) it's that nba influence and we were both just laughing so no they're they're playing they're having another terrific year so you know Good on Liberty. Now, that's a team that had already won its conference tournament last season before yeah. things got, got shut down and w- was heading back to the NCAAs for a second consecutive year. Liberty had advanced around the, the, the previous year. I believe it was against Mississippi State and then lost to, to Buzz and Virginia Tech. Do I have that right? That sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was down there at Liberty for that uh, A Sun Championship game last year. I did a story on you know McKay the program he's built, how it kind of is a a baby UVA, and um, you know one of the things I love about Richie is. He, took no offense at that right oh no no <laughs> the, idea, the idea that he's building a a version of of what he worked with he's he's like yeah that's exactly what we want to do and <laughs> if you want to compare me to tony bennett and you want to compare my program to virginia go for it and yeah hey the consistency of victories he's starting to deserve that comparison yeah oh no absolutely and no you could you could pay richie mckay no greater compliment to com- than to compare him to either of the bennett's absolutely. i mean i mean D- dick bennett is a is a mentor to richie and richie considers tony his little brother so we've got all of these teams around the commonwealth headed towards their conference tournaments likely a bunch of them headed towards the NCAA tournament and kind of brings us back to where we started, David. It's spring is in the air and, and what, a, what a great time it is to have March coming and, and lifting our spirits after what's been such a rough year. 
Absolutely. I mean, the sun's out here today as, as well. Uh, like you, I'm, I'm looking out my office window and uh, I'll be going to the bus stop soon and, and picking up the little one and maybe we'll get some outside time. And that's the plan here too. So let's get to it. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Enjoy the sun, and please join David and me again next week.